0: Jewish Audio on Kaban.org Rambam, Mishneh Torah, Hilchas Ma'aser, the laws of tithing, Perek Shnei Moser, chapter 12. We're learning the laws of tithing and how they relate to the laws of Demai. We learned extensively about the principles of the laws of Demai. If someone is not necessarily established himself as a scholar or God-fearing, practicing Jew, when it relates to the laws of Miser. So those who buy their produce, the produce is referred to as domai, domai, we're not sure whether they tithe or not, because they don't have credibility. They might make it up. They're not trustworthy. And all of the related issues. So now he says, ha le Somebody buys produce. From someone who is not credible when it comes to tithing so that this produce would be called demai. By rabbinic law, we have to tithe again. And we learned that the tithing that has to be done is only the trumas maser, only the one hundredth of the produce, which comes from the Levite's tithe to the Kohen, not the Levite's tithe itself, because as far as we know, the Levite's tithe could have been tithe, and let the Levite prove it, it wasn't. We also have to tithe the second tithe, Maas Sheni, because the owner gets to take that to Jerusalem, so there's no financial loss. So again, the situation here is he bought produce from someone who has no credibility, so he has to tithe the way we tithe, demai. the problem, however, is and he forgot to do it. We also learned earlier that our sages said that Shabbos is not an appropriate time to set aside tithes, and therefore it is a... a, a Sabbath prohibition of sorts. Because I believe you're completing the food and making it ready to eat. And now it's already Shabbos, or it's already the holiday. Where it's too late to tithe the rabbinic process of tithing. demai. Again, the laws of Demai are all a rabbinic ordinance, because by Torah law, the man says, I tithed it already. The problem is we're questioning his credibility. So here there's a complex scenario. It's already Shabbos. He forgot to do the rabbinic process of tithing demai. What does he do? So he goes back to the guy he bought it from, who's not necessarily credible, but there's an emergency here. And if the man said to him, I tithe them, he may eat food, this food, on the Shabbos by his declaration. And this is an amazing law. If it was Thursday, we wouldn't believe the guy. But because it's Shabbos, we believe the guy. And so also if somebody else, a third party who is not established as a credible person when it comes to Miser, he made a declaration, he says, trust me, I know, they have been tied. tithed. He may eat by that declaration on that Shabbos. Even if he has other produce which have been properly tithed from the same species of produce, he still can believe the man who says, it's okay, it's tied, or the other man who says, I know that my friend's produce is tied." Why? And here comes a fascinating law. Because the fear of the Sabbath sits on everyday unlearned people. A person thinks ten times before he transgresses a, a law on Shabbos. So the man would not lie on Shabbos. He might lie on Sunday or Friday, but not on Shabbos. And again, this is a fantastic law which tells us that even a, uh, an unlearned, simple, ignorant person. Shabbos makes them more spiritually attuned. And this is a very significant teaching in the spiritual teachings of Judaism. And right now we're learning the tithing, so we can't dwell on it, but it's a fantastic law. Beis af api shuei and therefore, even though he may eat by his testimony on Shabbos, because we trust him, because he won't lie on Shabbos. That does not carry over to Saturday night. Saturday night, he has to correct it according to the rabbinic prescription of correcting. A reminder. What is the rabbinic prescription of correcting? Demai, produce, which are uncertain whether miser was given or not. We take 100th And set it aside as thruma, and we take 10% of the balance and redeem that for the second tithe. We put it away for our next trip to Jerusalem. That's how you do it. Much easier than any other produce which needs 10% to the levy and 10% to the poor man, uh, depending upon the year and so on and so forth. So when it's Saturday night... He has to do whatever our sages said we need to do with my Al anisher. While he's doing that, he might as well give the produce for what he ate on Shabbos as well. And on the balance Kilo, because our sages did not take the liberal approach. and our sages did not make this man trustworthy Ella Let's say only for that Shabbos Why? Because this principle, this fellow, forgot to do what has to be done. Slipped his mind. What if it was a Sabbath running right into a festival? And he asked him in one of them, and the Shabb- Shabbos is running into the festival, or the festival is running into the Shabbos. On the second day as well. Because there was no time, no opportunity. To correct this Demai with the Dma'i tiding. The same goes during the time when we kept two days of the holiday because of the second day of the holiday we observe in exile. Remember, the Rambam is a unique book where the Rambam writes his book for all seasons. He writes the book for the time when the Besamigdash stood, for the time after the Besamigdash. So the Rambam says the same thing goes in our days. When you have two days Yom Tif, being that there's no opportunity to give the tithe in between, we trust him. Gimmo, new scenario, and we learn something similar to this. In their culture, once upon a time, people would try and get people to eat in their homes, to take advantage of their hospitality, and the guy was hesitant. The guy would take an oath, and he would say, I swear... That unless you eat with me, we're not going to be friends anymore. We're never going to... whatever. So that's a problem. Because the guy took an oath. You have to come to my house, and it's Shabbos. And we don't know if he tithed or not. Because he has no tithing credibility. So it's pretty serious because we don't want to alienate the guy. Somebody took an oath... Saying, uh, "I swear, you will eat with me this Shabbos, or else." The problem is, he doesn't trust him that he tithed, because he's not learned enough to have that credibility. We learned earlier, just to remind you, that someone who's not established as a chaver, as a scholar, we will always believe him that he took truma, the Kohen's portion off, because he knows. Even an ignorant person knows that eating from produce from which truma was not taken, there's a death penalty from heaven. So even ignorant people don't play with that. But he's not meticulous about the 10% to the Levite. So what's the big deal? There's no death penalty. Yes, there is, because the Levite has to give 10% of that to the Kohen as truma. And that truma has the same law as the other truma. But the ignorant person doesn't know that. So therefore, the way to correct Demai is to take a hundredth. We're not worried about the levy; We're worried about the 10% that the levy was supposed to give to the coin. Plus, as I mentioned earlier, to set aside the second tithe, which is no financial loss, because the person who sets it aside redeems it and puts it in the bank and takes it to Jerusalem to eat it when he goes. Okay. So here the situation is, the man who is... Not learned, who has no credibility, swore that if you don't come to my house, it's over. And he's not trustworthy. So he can say to him, listen, did you tie this food? And if the guy with with a uh, straight look says, I did, he can be believed for that Shabbos only. But not the next Shabbos even though he swears again, you can't keep doing this. He says, I swear, if you don't eat in my house, it's over. He has to first prepare this before Shabbos by doing the demai tithing ritual. What if there is somebody who, in general, is not credible because he's not a God-fearing or scholarly person, so he's not established himself as credible. We learned earlier what the credibility rules are. We saw him. We saw him take a hundredth of the produce, set it aside as truma of the theoretical miser he would have set apart. And then we saw him before We saw that that one hundredth of the produce which he set aside as trumas meiser fell back into the pile. So now, Houston, we got a problem. That which was set aside as truma is now mixed up with the original pile. B'ein l'makamachar, whether it fell into another place, b'ein l'mkaymor the same place. So now it has to be set aside again and then the guy says again, "He prashti, I did it." And remember, we saw him do it the first time. Nem he is trustworthy because we saw him do it the first time around. So we'll believe him the second time. Not only on Shabbos when you're not allowed to correct it, but Afila even in the weekday. But Eichel and the God-fearing scholarly person may eat it. I'll pee by his declaration. Why? What's the logic here? Because just as we said earlier, just as the fear of the Sabbath is upon the unlearned person, he'll never lie on Shabbos, so also the fear of mixing. Truma and non-truma is upon them as well, because he knows that this is also a very serious transgression. And they're not suspected of causing people to eat Meduma, tr- produce which has truma mixed into it. The only reason we suspect them is because we're not sure they gave the Levite his tithes. Or the second tithing. The truma we never suspected. Hey, me, Shane, and them, and someone who is not trustworthy for tithing, and we saw him actually set aside the first tithe, which is 10% to the Levite. The Omar, and then he declared, and he said, my He also set aside the second tithe. Naaman, then he's believed. He has credibility. Why? Because the first tithe is a financial outlay. He actually has to give the Levite 10%. If we, be, if we saw him do that, we can believe him about the second tithe, which has no financial loss, because it remains his money, which he has to take to Jerusalem. So a person who set aside something for the levites and loses from it financially it's an outlay has enough trust enough credibility to say i set aside the second tithe which is not a financial loss for him however flip it if we saw him set aside the second tithe simply by taking produce, setting it aside, redeeming it, and putting it with his money that he'll take to Jerusalem. And he made a declaration, and he said, my By the way, I also set aside the first tithe, and here he does not have credibility. Because when we saw him set aside the second tithe, there's no financial loss to him. Because the second tithe is his money, which he takes to Jerusalem. The Levite is not, his money, he has to give it to the Levite. Shashenishalei, because the second tithe is his. And the first tithe is a financial outlay. and Logically, someone who is trusted for the second tithe ain't an is not trusted for the first tithe. When it comes to financial loss, it's not so easy. The evil inclination keeps hocking us a china, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, it's money, and so on. However, someone who is trusted on the first tithe, where there's a financial outlay because he gives it to the levy, is always trusted for the second tithe because it remains his own money. Someone who is not trustworthy, someone who has not been... Declared as a chover, as a trustworthy person when it comes to tithes, who brought produce forth from his house, Yomar, and he says, "Elu my sirishin. these are first tithe produce. Nemon is believed. May mafrishin may hand truma some and we don't have to take apart, take from that truma and myser, because the truma has to be taken before the myser, and he says, I took the myser. But if he said, this is second tithe, then we don't believe him because second tithe is his money. So the produce must be treated like unknown produce. and we have to do what we said earlier. The ritual is we have to set aside the 100th. And it appears to me that he has to redeem the entire amount, even the amount separated as the For although we are stringent, do not accept his word, we don't reject his statements entirely, and so on. There's discussion as to exactly what the Rambam means with these words. Six, What if somebody makes a declaration and says to someone who does not have credibility for tithing, Go, buy from me, for me, but make sure you purchase from someone who is Credible when it comes to tithing. We say to the person who's not credible, you be my agent and go buy from somebody who is credible. In today's world, a similar set of laws would be kosher laws. People are credible, they're trusted. First of all, they know kosher. Second of all, they keep kosher. They're meticulous, they're knowledgeable, or they're not. And if somebody runs an establishment and he's not, he needs a credible person supervising called a mashgiach. And even then problems happen. So he says to the person, go purchase for me from someone who is reliable and trustworthy for tithing. See, in our world, we're concerned with kosher. In their world, on top of kosher, there was the the tithing, which was a separate problem. Which today is a limited problem in Israel. And and out of of Israel, it's a a whole different minor issue sometimes. So the man who's not trustworthy went and took and brought the problem is he's not trustworthy. Because he himself is not trusted, When he declares, I gave it, why should he be trusted when he says, I bought it? Which is why, for example, in today's world, when you buy something from a trustworthy establishment, for example, meat, and the person who's delivering the meat is not trustworthy, or in many cases, not Jewish, he's a delivery person, so he has nothing to do with kosher, the meat has to be doubly sealed, if the meat is not doubly sealed, it's a problem. So that's because the agent, the delivery person, has to be trustworthy too. However, if he said to him, I want you to be my agent. Go buy me some produce from Moisha, from this and this person. He's reliable enough to say, I bought it from Moisha. Why why is he trusted? Because there's a very easy way of finding out if he's lying. Because ultimately he's going to meet Moshe and he's going to say, did you give my friend the produce? And if he says no, it's over. There goes the relationship. So we always have to ask ourselves how easy is it to catch the guy in the act? What if he went to take it from that person, and he says... I couldn't find Moshe, I took it from Beryl, who is trustworthy, and he's not believed. The most we can do is believe him that he took it from Moshe, because I'm going to see Moshe later, and I'll ask Moshe. So he's afraid to lie. But we always have to suspect that someone who himself is not meticulously God-fearing when it comes to this particular mitzvah, or meticulously knowledgeable, is not hundred percent trustworthy. That's the whole reality of the Demai situation. Domai, we're not sure if tithing was done or wasn't done. Having said that, here comes a bunch of scenarios. I in aniknasli If somebody comes into a strange city, he doesn't know anybody there. Again, in today's world, somebody comes into a strange city and he wants to eat and he doesn't know anybody, what does he do? He needs to have an eating establishment that has reliable kosher supervision. Back then, the problem was compounded because it had to do with Meiser too. And Meiser needs more credibility than just kosher. So he doesn't know anybody. And he said, Who is trustworthy here? Who tithes? And they told him, So and so. And, and, and one person told him, "I do, ainanem," and he's not believed. Why? Because we don't know the guy. Maybe he's lying. Maybe he just wants to make a sale. If he said to this and this person, which means the guy who's telling him is telling him about somebody else that so and so is credible. Now we can believe him and he can buy from the second person even though he doesn't know him and he can eat by the declaration of the first what if he went to that person who the first guy referred him to and while he was buying the produce he said to the guy by the way who who sells wine here from the old crop because the new crop is a problem as we learned, lo'is tells him, you want to know who sells wine from the old crop? The guy who sent you to me. Now we worry. <laughs> this sounds like a deal was made. <laughs> so the halacha is, even though it looks like they're scratching each other's back, they are now morning believe to testify about each other. Ches eight bamed, what am I morning? When can this credibility exist with manchain sham. if he doesn't know anybody? So he has no choice. Ah, Bali Sham, but if he knows people. <laughs> In that case, once he knows what's going on, he should only take from someone who is known as a meticulously observant person, called an expert. And if he lived there for 30 days, even though he's reclusive and he didn't meet anybody, he doesn't know anybody. 30 days is enough to become a resident, and you've got to know who is reliable and who's not reliable. There's the, the famous cute story they say that the guy got off a train in Chicago, and he says, where is there a kosher pizza shop here? I'm dying for some pizza. So he says, down the block. He walks in, and he sees, uh, it looks like a Jewish outfit. And he says, is this kosher? He's looking for a kosher certification certificate. There's nothing available. He says, is this kosher? He says, take a look on the wall. He says, that's my zedi, a guy with a talus and a film, and he's shaking. Uh, look at that the The picture, the portrait of my Zaydi, you have the audacity, the chutzpah to ask me if this is kosher. Look at my Zaydi's portrait. He says to him, listen, my friend. If you were hanging on the wall and your Zaydi was behind the counter, I'd have no doubt that this place is kosher. As long as you're behind the counter and your Zaydi's hanging on the wall, I'm asking you, is this place kosher? So, you know, just because the Zaydi's hanging on the wall doesn't mean all that much. In general, these leniencies are only acceptable when it comes to the heave offerings of the Kohen and the tithings of the Levite. But when it comes to other issues, such as produce of the sabbatical year, or pure and impure, here, we don't even have those leniencies, you've got to go to the pro you'd hear a similar scenario. When they, what if there was a caravan of donkey drivers who pulled into town? They go straight to the saloon. Now oh, That's in the Old West. And one of the donkey drivers says, My produce has not been tied properly. However, if you're looking for tied produce, my buddy here, he, his wagon has tied produce. My buddy's produce on his wagon, on his donkey. This is good. a is not trustworthy. Because this is a perfect collusion of deception. Come in and say, mine are no good, but my friends are good. Similar law, we learned much earlier that our sages instituted that tithes should be taken in Syria as well. Syria is adjacent to Israel. By rabbinic law, tithes have to be given for produce in Syria if a Jew is growing them. So here's a Jew who's in Syria who's selling produce. The whole idea of demai doesn't apply in Syria because it's rabbinic law. You don't have rabbinic law on top of rabbinic law. Yomar, he says, But the problem is that the seller says, this produce, made in Israel, grown in Israel. So now it's Israeli produce. The purchaser, the buyer, must tithe it. What if he says, it's grown in Israel and it's been tithed, Neamon, he's trustworthy. And here we have an important Talmudic axiom, which we find repeated again and again in Talmud. Shahapesha osar; hu hapeh Hiter. The same mouth which forbade it, permitted it. The same mouth that says, In Syria, this produce is grown in Israel. I wouldn't know that unless the man said it. The same man said, and it's tithe. So the same guy who, decla- who through his declaration alone made it prohibited is the same guy who makes it permitted. So, logically, that's cool. That's, a, that's permissible. Hape sheosar who hape shehiter or as they say in the Talmudic word. I'm sorry. If he says, if he says, they are mine... He has to tithe. He says, they're mine and they're tithe. Nehman is reliable. Again, because the mouth who forbade it is the mouth who permitted it because it's in Syria. Maybe it was grown by a non-Jew where you don't have the whole obligation of tithing. If we know that this guy has fields, has farms in Syria, and most of the stuff this guy who's a merchant sells comes from his own field. Then the buyer must tithe, Because we don't need him to declare that they're from his field and not from the field of a non-Jew, which would not require tithing. We know that the vast majority of the produce he sells are from his fields. So therefore, it's not his declaration that forbade it. Therefore, his declaration cannot permit it, which again is an axiomatic Talmudic law. Along the same lines, we learned much earlier that the gifts... Which the farmer gives to the poor do not have to be tithed. They're exempt from all the tithing laws. A Niyim Shamru, a group of poor people came and said, Pay this Elo, this produce, Shalekhet Chikhopeya, comes from the gleanings and gatherings which the farmer leaves for the poor in the corners of the field, and the leftovers and the forgotten, and so on, which we learned in great detail earlier. So that's what these poor people are saying. Poor people's produce don't require tithing. And they're trying to sell it to make a few bucks. They can be believed as long as it's the season when poor people get from granaries. If it's the season of the poor people's gifts, then why shouldn't they be believed? As long as these charitable gifts are still around and available in the fields and as long as it's also close enough to the granary where he can come and go in one day however if they didn't say it comes from the poor man's gifts in the farm but they said in the granary they said these are from the tithes of the poor what are the tithes of the poor We learned earlier that in the third and sixth year of the sabbatical cycle, instead of the second tithe being set aside and taken to Jerusalem, we give a tithe to the poor. Special years, year three and year six. Meaning the poor have a bountiful year. They're getting 10% of everybody's produce. So what they're saying is, it's not from the granary, this is from people's tents that they give to the poor. Then they can be believed, if it's that year. If it's year three or year six. If it's year five, you've got a problem. They also can only be trusted when the produce is the type of produce that people usually give the poor. katesad and here he spells it out. Chitim. If we're talking about wheat, the guy says, Chitim elu lekha These, this wheat comes from leket. comes from the poor man's charitable gifts from the granary. Hare elu Then they're trustworthy because it's a normal thing. But if the guy comes not with wheat, but he comes with kemach, he, he comes with processed flour, kemach zesha they're not believed because farmers don't usually give processed flour. Surely, that they're not trustworthy if they're selling bread. They're saying, here is bread. It's exempt from any tithings because it comes from the poor man's food. Because farmers do not give out bread from from the forgotten sheaves or the corners or whatever. It's wheat, not bread. This must be treated as produce that we're unsure whether tithes was taken or not. This is, again, all about leket, about the farmer's gifts every year. But they are believed, with regard to kernels of rice, while in their husks, they but when they're out of the husks, they're not believed that this is from the gifts, whether cooked or raw. <inaudible> their regard, their word is accepted with regard to beans in their kernels, <inaudible> but not once they come out of the kernels, whether they're hus, uh, cooked beans or raw beans. Namonamala and they're <inaudible> trustworthy for oil, that this was given from the tithe of of the poor man, third year and sixth year. But they're not reliable to say it comes from the leftover olives because people don't give oil from leftover olives, they give olives. Whereas in the year of the 10% tithe, that's a whole different story. They can be believed about raw vegetables, but not cooked. Unless it was a little bit, Because we learned earlier that it is customary for homeowners to give a little cooked vegetables to a poor man. Maybe that's from that vegetable. And here we have another Talmudic principle. This Talmudic principle is known in Talmudic vernacular as Migo. A Migo. What's a Migo? I could have said this and you would have believed me. Therefore, believe me when I say this. Because, because he could have said, the homeowner gave it to me, and you'd believe him, because it's a little bit, so therefore you can believe him when he says, I cooked it from my gifts, because if he wanted to lie, he could have told you a better lie that you would have believed. Therefore, you might as well believe his truth. That's the logic of a Migui. Again, one of the basic axioms of Talmudic principle. So, we learned today two basic axioms of Talmudic principle: Hape Sha'osar, hu Hapeh Sha'itir, and Migui. Tesvab 15, the b'nei Levi So, also a Levite who said he's an ignorant Levite, he doesn't have credibility. But the Levite said, This produce is from first tithe, which, from which Truma has been taken. Can the Levite be believed? He's ignorant. He's not learned. He's not credible. The answer is yes. Just as the Israelite has always believed when it comes to Truma. The Levite is always believed when it comes to Trumas meiser because it has the same death penalty attached to it. And a Levite will not cheat about Truma. Just like an Israelite is trustworthy when it comes to the major Truma. But the Levite cannot say, and I took the second tithe from it, because the second tithe doesn't have the sanctity of the Truma All of the above is talking about someone who is unlearned. He's not necessarily suspected to be a liar and he's not been established as a scholar. He's just unknown. But if somebody is suspected of selling truma as everyday food, which would be a terrible transgression. But there are transgressors in the world. We know, we learned earlier, that truma could be purchased for cheaper. The economic demand for truma is only for Kohanim, so it's a much cheaper product. Imagine somebody can make a lot of money by buying truma and selling it to non-truma. He can make a fortune. He can get into the Forbes 500, Fortune 500. So if he's been known to do that, then one is forbidden to purchase from him anything that must have truma and meiser separated from it. I feel the kid dog and we go to such an extreme that we can't even accept something made from fish intestines. What do fish intestines have to do with tithe? You don't tithe from fish. Because you put in olive oil. And the olive oil might be truma olive oil. Because this guy is not credible. In fact, we suspect him of all kinds of stuff. Of only that which we see sitting in front of him is forbidden. But if the guy is a vendor, he, he has an establishment and he has it in his storehouse. And we may purchase from him. Why? Because if the guy is a vendor and he sells stuff and he has a storehouse and he's going to be caught cheating, you can only get caught cheating once and the guy will get out of business. So therefore the guy will not dare to cheat. He'll close down his whole storehouse. So muta mimeno, we permitted to buy from him, but a lot of truma because he's afraid to mix truma into his storehouse. Shema perhaps it will be known. the he loses business because that's what happens to people when they are caught cheating; they lose their business. and so also if someone is suspected. When it comes to his second tithe money, which he has to put away and take to Jerusalem, he says, what the heck? And he just sells it and puts the money in the bank and keeps it. We're forbidden to purchase anything from this vendor that has any remote connection to an obligation of tithe. All of these are rabbinically applied penalties. Yuudzain Choshud, someone who is suspected of cheating, Shaheid al-Slahherim, who testified about someone else that his stuff is good. Namman he's trusted. And here comes another Talmudic principle. This one is a beauty. Chazokah, there is an established rule. Or, in other words, we can safely assume Ein Adam. People will not sin without selfish benefit. I'm not going to tell you that the other guy is good unless there's something in it for me. I need a profit incentive. There's no profit incentive. Certainly, an unlearned person is not sophisticated enough to sin unless there's something in it for him. Therefore, an ignorant person, an unlearned person who said, Zet table Bizet Truma, this is produce from which Truma has not been set aside, and this is Truma Zebadai, this was certainly tied with Z this may or may not have been duma- tied. I feel the even if it 's his name and he 's trustworthy. Omar if he said, "Epeus These, this produce has been completely come full cycle in all obligations of Truma and sir completely corrected if it belongs to somebody else now when he's trusted as long as we don't suspect that some kind of backroom deal has been made here between the two as we explain if somebody sells produce to another and this is actually a very interesting law after the deal is done. The sale is, is done. The seller says to the buyer, By the way, The produce I sold you are produce from which Truma and Meiser has never been separated, which violates Torah law, because the Torah says the seller has to separate them, or he has to inform him beforehand. And the guy actually says, the commentary says, give it back to me. I want to undo the deal. I I regret what I did, give it back to me, and I'll set aside the truman the miser. Or, sister scenario. (laughs) Habos or besar becher hoyo, the seller sells an animal to the buyer, the deal is done. Then the seller comes back later and says to the buyer, I'm so sorry, that which I sold you was a firstborn. And it may not be eaten, firstborn has to be offered as a sacrifice. (laughs) The wine I sold you was poured by a non-Jew, possibly with idolatry in mind, possibly not. (laughs) The strict application of the law is that this person has no credibility once the deal is done. Because once the deal is done, it's none of his business. Who is he? What is he? And there may be a self serving reason that he's coming, wanting to undo the deal. So, therefore, we're not obligated to believe him. Even if the guy was a reliable Torah scholar, meticulously observant, however, the is but someone who is them selves filled with alacrity and observance of mitzvahs, takes the more stringent approach, even though the Torah does not obligate him to believe the guy, but if he does believe him, and just in case he undoes the deal, it's praiseworthy. Even if the seller was an unlearned person, because it's always better to be safe than to be sorry.